technical specs uh, are absolutely important. And as someone who's done a lot of technical raid myself, I value it greatly. But it's just not sexy. And when you're working in growth, you, you, you gotta be able to sell that sizzle a little bit. Hey everybody, this is Josh Becerra. Welcome to the next episode of How I Work. My guest today is Greg Sachs. Greg is the Director of Growth Management and Rezo Real Estate Standards Organization, independent nonprofit that develops data standards and processes that create efficiencies for all participants in real estate transactions. Members include multiple listing services, brokerages, realtor associations, and technology partners serving nearly 2 million real estate professionals. Greg has more than 30 years of work experience in tech-centric research, marketing, communications, product, and growth, 17 of them in the real estate industry. So thanks for being here, Greg. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You have a plethora of life and work experiences. Uh, I believe once you told me that you got your start kind of in the pre-internet days working at the U of M uh, on like the gopher, as they called it, program. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about the early start and then your journey to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I got my degree in uh, creative writing, of all things, from uh, UW Madison. Okay. Uh, and I envisioned that I'd be more involved in like book publishing or newspaper publishing. Uh, but a funny thing happened along the way, uh, the internet. And I, I dove into that. My first job out of college, this is pre-internet, right? Uh, was uh, with the, I, I, even though I went to UW-Madison, I got my first job back at the U of M uh, in their Department of Family Medicine. I was something of a research specialist. And part okay. of my work involved going into online databases like Westlaw and uh, Medline was the big one because I was working in, in medical and finding uh, published articles that research oriented doctors needed to, to do their work. And back in those days, uh, you paid by the minute. So I had to get pretty quick at finding information. And yeah. that led me to uh, uh, the, the, the what was called the um, micro the microcomputer support lab at uh, the University of Minnesota where Gopher was invented and okay. why Gopher was so cool uh, was because uh, you could get into things this is pre graphics right so you would get into FTP sites directories and for my work libraries so I quickly became friends with those guys and yeah. and worked in that capacity and uh, I, I just fell in love with the wealth of information there. Uh, and right about that same time, I discovered desktop publishing. And uh, I'd run a zine in college. So the combination of desktop publishing, information, uh, just made me realize I didn't really need publishers, uh, traditional publishers, to do what I wanted to do in life. Uh, then, yeah, cool. then Netscape and HTML came around. Uh, and eventually medline became free for, uh, thanks to the work of al gore uh, who also invented the internet as we all know yeah right um, and so uh, by the time i left that first job i you know it was like only 1996 but i was like an early internet veteran and uh, that helped me get uh, work in uh, other fields uh, the one that i chose was travel health 
It's the, the things you need to know before you go, like the medical sure. recommendations and safety and all that. So I got jobs in content management there and, uh, and learning how to do marketing and, and uh, uh, SaaS uh, development. So we sold products to travel nurses that uh, needed to know how to treat their patients, right? And so I did that right. for several years, um, landing eventually in San Francisco during the dot-com bust, which was a, a, quite an eye-opener and lessons learned. Uh, I eventually returned back to Minnesota, got a job in real estate at a communications department at the Minneapolis Association of Realtors. And what I liked about that was the media relations in particular. And you know we controlled a lot of information in housing including things like closed sales, median sales price, things people really wanted to know, inventory. And you know, the media picked up on that, and I found that very compelling, particularly they wanted the stats. So a few of us within that organization created a, a for-profit entity called 10K Research and Marketing. And we sold stats packages like on a weekly, monthly, annual basis, whatever people asked for. Uh, to other associations and MLSs around the country. Uh, okay. So people took a notice of that. And uh, eventually we were acquired by a little showing company, or actually a large showing company called Showing Time, which has since been acquired by Zillow. So that's pretty exciting. Okay. I wish I saw some of the, the cash flow on that. But yeah, right. I had already moved on to Riso, where I work now. Uh, why I was fascinated by Riso is because when I was at 10K, we worked in data. And get, getting access to MLS data is tricky and kind of dirty. There's a, there's a lot of bad data in there, and you have to do a lot of cleaning and mapping of fields. Uh, people who do database stuff, they know what I'm talking about. And yeah, yeah. the job was to clean that stuff up. And I found that very compelling. So uh, I, when I found a, a need for 10K to join that. And then when I saw that they had an opportunity in growth management uh, and I saw my skills aligned with it, uh, I was glad to apply and get hired and uh, I jumped at that opportunity. Uh, to wrap a bow on this long circuitous journey uh, across yeah, yeah, yeah. multiple uh, uh, states and countries, uh, I want to say a key factor in my career arc was always to stay open to new adventures and new technologies. Uh, so it's, it's one thing to be aware of advancements in technology and communications, uh, but you have to play with that stuff, too. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Back in the day. I love that. Yeah. I tell people all the time when they ask me, like, what's the one thing that you would suggest, you know, as a digital marketer that I should do? Um, and I always say, just stay curious, like, you know, look at what's new coming out. Be curious about it. Play with it. Right. Like, I think you're. You're right on there. So um, as kind of the director of growth management, I, I remember you quoted an old BASF commercial. We make the things you buy better as the way in which you describe your work at Rezo. So tell us a little bit about like this concept of, you know, making things better. I think you described it as like you're the cleaner and the editor. What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, when I was at uh, the the stats company, I used to have a, a sign on the outside of my door that I found in the basement that just said janitor. And I put that sucker right there on my door because uh, that's what, to me, 
growth and project management is really like. It's a, it's a concept I think a lot of editor types, product and project managers, they can relate to, and even teachers and coaches, they might also agree uh, that you are, it's not always necessarily your job to be the maker of the thing, uh, but you're mm -hmm. the driver, you know, and you can't help but to strive uh, for quality because it's your job to maximize the value of that thing that is being made. Um, yeah. I feel lucky to have also been a maker and to be somebody who's created successful products in my life, but I'm never shy when, uh, when a project manager is assigned to me at, for anything. Uh, some people see that as a, a, a place to, to get angry that somebody's in your business, and I, sure. I love it because it feeds right into the, the need for, for a, a group to keep things moving forward in, a, in an organized manner. I mean, they, sometimes PMs pick, piss me off, uh, but only because they're right, you know, they're trying to get me to do stuff on time and uh, yeah. just pushing for the greater good, uh, just as I'm often forced to do for others. I love that. I'm thinking, oh, maybe I need to get like a, a janitor sign on my desk or something, uh, because there's there is something about like uh, someone who isn't always responsible for creating all the things, but is kind of responsible for helping clean it up or make sure that it's like uh, got the right the right kind of direction to it. So I love that. Um, you know, you've got lots of years of experience. And one of the things we talked about a little bit was uh, all the different types of people you've ha encountered along the way, right? Uh, one you described as kind of like a lone ranger. The other you described as like heavy engineers or developers and kind of you've learned how to interface with these kind of extreme personality types, making sure that you're still able to get things done. So like in your experience, what is it that's helped you kind of navigate uh, people and their and their work styles? Well, uh, the Lone Ranger thing, if my current boss hears this and I'll make sure that he does, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's going to love that I spoke of him as a Lone Ranger in public. Uh, nice. Thankfully, it's a term of endearment today. Uh, it hasn't always been with uh, some past people. You get a lot of yeah. egos in your in anybody's work. Uh, I have a couple of grown kids right now, and they lament uh, their workplaces and who gets in their way and sure. boss is doing what to them. And I'm like, you know, you're never not going to run into that. You just got to learn right. uh, to to deal with it. Like so, when somebody with more authority than you. Uh, goes all ape in your product line, uh, you know, you, you, without knowing the nuances of the changes that they make and how they're going to affect the the end, you know, like they may make a change over here because they think it's a great idea in the middle of the night. Uh, it can be frustrating to clean up, but like you just deal with it. Uh, I, I really yeah. have a marketing minded CEO, CEO so the, the challenge there can be more like, uh, hey, isn't isn't that my job? Like you're doing my job right now? Right, right. But ultimately, it's not really a problem for me here. Uh, I can, I'm very appreciative of that uh, because there's a mutual trust and respect there. And those are the two most important words that I've dealt with in uh, team building. You know, even if you don't always agree on something, uh, you have to trust and respect the person you're working with. Otherwise, the project yeah. isn't going to move forward. So, like, as for developers, uh, man, engineers and designers. Uh, have been fighting 
<laughs> about stuff since before the, all this stuff was being developed on computers. Uh, yeah, for sure. Technical specs uh, are absolutely important. And as someone who's done a lot of technical writing myself, I value it greatly, but it's just not sexy. And when you're working in growth, you, you, you got to be able to sell that sizzle a little bit. Uh, and it can be particularly ch challenging uh, in a standards organization because much of what I do is based on technical specs. Uh, sure. The people that implement our products and seek RISO certification are technologists and they want facts. Uh, the C-suite folks who want their boards of directors and working realtors to understand why they're spending money on implementing standards, they want a shiny description and a pretty picture. And I don't think, e right. even though it's uh, real estate standards, which is very deep in the mud, I think that applies to a lot of products out there, you know, especially technical products. You've got to speak to your tech folk and your, your, your uh, board side. As a growth manager, um, I'm mixed in both of those equations, uh, maybe like a virus, uh, but I prefer to think of it more musically. Uh, yeah. The role allows me to play uh, several instruments in the business and tech space. And uh, the important thing to realize is that Lone Rangers and Code Cavers um, each represent a passion for the work. Uh, so you just find those points of cohesion and in the midst of different voices that want to be heard. And uh, as a good growth manager, I believe, knows um, how to be a conductor and coaxing the best performance uh, out of the audiences uh, at hand. Uh, yeah. So that's that's really I, where I, I love I love that metaphor, you know, honestly, like when you're thinking about, yeah, playing multiple instruments and being a conductor, like I, I really get what you're getting at when you're saying like there's there's kind of different types of people. You got to learn to work with them in the ways that they need to work so that they feel heard so that they're getting what they want. Um, that's really great. I mean, specifically, so, uh, before you get to uh, the next question, uh, at Resale, yeah. we have, uh, you know, we've got typical social media and newsletters and all that. But like for our tech folks, we've got a GitHub. Uh, and they go there yeah. to see the technical specs and they, they get their own little sequestered area. And it, it's really helped us um, keep the audiences both happy. And it's kind of like in their language and in a platform that they understand and they're used to, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So what's I think is really cool about your job is that you are kind of in this standard space, which is unique, you know, like it's not every day that somebody's out there trying to get uh, companies to kind of adopt standards. You know, most of the time companies are out there trying to, you know, pitch their wares or get someone to buy their product or whatever. Um, so it's a it's a little bit different of an animal. And you know, you're trying to get MLSs and real estate brokerages to like buy into these standards, which in a way requires them to cooperate, but they might also view one another as competitors, right? Like two brokerages, maybe in the same geographies, MLSs that overlap somehow. So can you help um, the audience understand a little bit how you kind of market this idea of coopetition to these stakeholders that have some of the same kind of universal benefits. Um, so, how does coopetition kind of how do you, how are you marketing that in this standards environment? Well, there's there's three that I like to point to. Uh, okay. Uh, 
that help you know if I, I'll, I'll say a few paragraphs here probably because that's what I do but yeah. if you think about like Bluetooth or uh, a little more deeper maybe IEEE for engineering or underwriters laboratory a little stamp you see on a lot of products you buy these things yeah. were standards that had to be created by groups of people that wanted products out on the market uh, if you get to something more universal than a specific product uh, any form of, uh, of gathering of like-minded professionals uh, working towards a common standard, it, it's going to involve some form of cooperation, because you're creating a yeah. baseline of operations for the greater good of whatever your occupation is. Some, some really big ones you might think of are legal or uh, medical or food, right. food standards. Uh, you know, the differentiation comes in the form of how maybe private practices operate or how businesses are created or how they serve their customers. But the underlying standard is uh, something for them all to build on. Uh, in our case, we're not a government entity. Uh, so we're, you know, we're not, we oversee it, but our members create the standards and uh, they get ratified by our board and uh, we facilitate and enforce them. Due to that, we adhere to a pretty, here's, here's where things get kind of good. Uh, Okay. We adhere to a pretty uh, strict antitrust policy, and we read a statement before any workgroup meeting that involves discussion of standards. Uh, that brief statement somehow helps set the tone. Uh, organizations, uh, organization veterans, uh, will also help newcomers understand what's going on, because it's it's usually pretty obvious when a topic involves something for the greater good versus something that's a little self-serving. You know, a new company might come sure. in and try to make it just about their product. And people, you know, they really vet it out uh, before, um, generally before we even have to get involved. So we're, yeah. we're just stewards of the standards mission. Uh, our members are already stewards of the real estate industry as a whole. And realtors abide by a strict code of ethics. We're all reminded that uh, all the time because they're the constituents we're, we're helping at the end of the day. And a lot of money moves around in real, the real estate industry, so we got to be careful. Uh, having that stewardship mindset fits right into um, you know defining standards and moving the entire industry forward with common language uh, for yeah. for our base. You know. Yeah, I love that, and uh, I know that you're uh, thinking about expanding internationally, so that's um, something new for the organization. Uh, just curious about international expansion in general. I think that those are things that other, um, you know, marketers and companies, uh, you know, are dealing with and thinking about. So tell us a little bit about where you're looking to expand, what you've learned uh, with some of the early international expansion efforts, challenges that you think people who are interested in expansion should be considering. Do you have any advice there? A little bit, uh, yeah. Uh, we, you know, we expand where demand takes us, uh, and it, that comes from where our members. We have a lot of member uh, brokerage members, uh, and they expand into new countries. Uh, the MLS concept itself, uh, believe it or not, is really only in the U.S. and Canada, and so okay. as brokerages move into other countries, uh, that that idea gets exposed to them. And a lot of these countries lack a sort of centralized listing service. Um, and then more real estate purchases are happening over oceans now, not just over state lines, uh, you know, especially in places like New York, Miami, Hawaii. Uh, there's already been a lot of international exposure there. Um, so that has ex increased our exposure to international audiences. Uh, 
Now our first yeah. big efforts uh, have come in Canada because it's our nearest neighbor, and it's they have a a big entity there called the Canadian Real Estate uh, Association (CREA), which is the equivalent of our National Association of Realtors, which is the umbrella association for all of what we do in association land. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and National Association is a big supporter of us. Um, so from there, we have members uh, moving the MLS concept into Central and South America. Um, and that, that's been pretty exciting and very recent. Uh, some challenges, you know, that's, that's where the fun stuff comes in. Uh, we've learned that privacy is a huge consideration in developing uh, international standards in different countries. Uh, in, Europe, okay. in Europe, they've got the European General Data Privacy Regulation. Uh, even displaying things like addresses can be a no-no, uh, something we take for granted in listings. You might have to speak to a general area rather than a specific address. Um, wow. Language is the most obvious difference. Uh, we've done a couple of translations into French Canadian for our neighbors to the north and uh, Castilian Spanish. Uh, we have a, a, some standards based on that. Um, but potential languages for growth, uh, you know, you got a lot of what's going on in Asia. Uh, so different uh, dialects of Chinese, Indonesian, uh, Korean, Japanese, and then you get into Germany and French, not just French Canadian, but uh, Russian is actually one of the largest languages spoken in the world. Um, wow. You've got to get into all of that too. Uh, then even variations of English, believe it or not. So as we go into the UK, we got to consider British English. Even our neighbors north uh, would like some Canadian considerations for Canadian English. And then when you get south of uh, of the U.S., Spanish is not the same from Argentina, uh, Argentina to uh, Puerto Rico to Panama. It's just not. So yeah, of course. Accounting for all that's different, as well as address styles, measurements, currencies. Uh, the United States Postal Service and the U.S. dollar only goes so far. You know, when you're trying to yeah. get something going on in like the Czech Republic. <laughs> Yeah, I can only imagine, man. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. That sounds really cool. And having those standards internationally, I'm sure will help all of us uh, acquire more uh, property overseas at some point, right? That's right. That's the dream. Um, okay, so one last question, and I love to ask all my guests this, is kind of who's inspiring you today? Authors, podcasters, thought leaders, um, you know, you had told me when we were prepping for this that you like to listen to kind of things that entertain you versus like getting immersed in like more stuff about real estate. So tell us a little, tell us who's inspiring you and what you're listening to. So a little over a decade ago, uh, I ran into a, a high school friend of mine that I hadn't seen in years and he happened to be a cabinet maker. Uh, we were at a dog park and I'm like, I just bought a house. We needed cabinets. I wanted to talk to yeah. him about cabinets. And he stopped me cold, uh, politely but firmly, and he said the last thing he wanted to talk to me about was cabinets on his day off. And it struck yeah. me, it struck me in a sweet spot, man. And I, since then, I've like really thought about that. Like, if all you do is talk about and read about stuff that's related to your work, I think you're going to burn out a little bit and you're going to get bored. Yeah. And even worse, uh, you're going to become a bore. And so I tend to look for inspiration 
from, as you said, entertaining sources. Because I think it helps. Uh, it just gets my mind going uh, towards more entertaining things. And what I do is a lot of industry relations stuff. It's a lot of people business. And people want to talk like folks, you know, and they want to get to the bottom of something and, yeah. and debate and have fun and talk about what's going on in pop culture. So I listen to a lot of pop culture stuff. And as a man of a certain age, I like guys my age who are talking about things I like. So I listen to uh, Fly on the Wall with uh, David Spade and Dana Carvey. They talk about okay. uh, their days at Saturday Night Live and their guests are frequently SNL alum. And I, what I, I actually get something out of it because, you know, only like 55, 56 people have ever been players on SNL. And I find that fascinating. Like what was their journey to get to that shot, you know, to get to that one yeah. thing that they got to do that they dreamed of doing and they make it really entertaining. It's fun. Along those same lines, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Uh, Conan was great on TV. He's great in podcasting. Uh, he makes me laugh, and he's he brings a lot of uh, a fun guests on. As does uh, uh, the the trio of Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, and Jason Bateman on a podcast called Smartless. Um, all dudes my age, including uh, yeah the OG of podcasting, uh, uh, Mark Marin and his WTF podcast. Uh, just a super compelling conversationalist. Uh, I will give one shout out to a real estate marketing company that I love called 1000. Okay. Uh, so they're 1000 watt. They're based out of Portland, Oregon. Uh, they have a weekly e-newsletter called the dose and it, it almost never touches entirely on real estate. It's just inspirational stuff in marketing, old ad campaigns from the seventies, uh, things that they just find on the internet that, that hits them. And I, I love that. And then uh, lastly, uh, I'm, I, as somebody who comes from a creative writing background, I do try to read a few novels, and I'm right now stuck on a Jonathan Franzen novel. Uh, he I wrote a book. He's written a few books, some of the best books I've ever read in my life, The, uh, the Corrections and Freedom. And now I'm reading Purity, which is a little bit of a slog, but the man knows how to write. And uh, I, can't, I can't let go of my creative side, even though I... Uh, I eventually evolved into WWW. Yeah. Well, I, I love the answer because I think you're right. Like, you know, keep being entertained and not just being so myopic and focused on your own thing, I think is, uh, is truly like better. It, it helps kind of expand your mind. Like part of the reason why we're doing this podcast and like my guests are a little bit all over the place. Like who would imagine I'm, interviewing you know you for this podcast but it's because there's just interesting things and it's fun to understand like how real estate standards work and like what are some of the complexities that you're dealing with and how you're kind of managing through relationships and some of the challenges that you face so anyway i really do appreciate you accepting uh the time to be a guest here on on the podcast and uh i'm just gonna say goodbye for now because we're running out of time but thanks for yeah, it thank you it was great